so Corey Ten Boom, uh, you've probably heard of her. Um, she was uh, someone who was uh, her family. I, I believe it was her, her whole family. They were hiding uh, Jews during the Second World War, and they eventually get caught and sent to a concentration camp. Uh, but in one of her books, she, she said this of Jesus. Connected with him in his love, I am more than a conqueror. Without him, I am nothing. Like railway t- tickets in America, I am not good if valid, or valid if detached. And I thought this was a really interesting quote to start with this week. Uh, we live in a very independent society in which we're often too proud to admit when we need help. We like to be able to say that we did something with our own two hands, uh, and that it was our work that did it, and we take pride in that. Needing help or asking for help is often seen as a sign of weakness, and it's why our society has so many self-help books out there, or this for dummies books. Why as a professional? You can just buy a book and figure it out for yourself. Or in today's day and age, I can just look up a YouTube video that'll tell me how to do something. I don't need to hire somebody to do it for me. That's why guys like me don't like to ask for directions or to read the instructions when building something from Ikea. We want to do it on our own so that we can take all the credit for it. However, this view of life hits a brick wall when it comes to being a Christian. Because our entire faith is built on the fact that we are not good enough. And that the only way we can be good enough is by accepting help. It's very countercultural to reveal that sort of weakness about yourself. To accept that you're not good enough, that you can't do it, and that you do need help to get where you need to be. We've been spending the summer studying these I am statements of Jesus, and this is our final week. These statements were the way in the first century during his ministry that Jesus revealed himself and his mission to the world and to his disciples. And this final statement is very unique because all the other statements have been about who Jesus is and what his character and mission means for us in view of eternity. But this statement, while it does reveal something to us about Jesus, it is all to do with our relationship with him here on earth, and our mission as Christians. We understand that we need to be in Jesus, and that we are wholly dependent on him, but we aren't always the best at living that out. We always want to plan everything out for ourselves. And we talked about that a bit in the Philippians series in the spring. I know I mentioned that the world loves self-help books, but we Christians do as well. Uh, There's a lot of books that I had gotten through my time at school, Um, the Christian bookstores on things like how to make disciples or how to turn your church around in three easy steps or how to revolutionize your your faith in four weeks, Uh, those kind of books. And there isn't necessarily anything wrong with those as long as it is an attempt for us to take control and to fix things and build them on our own. Because the truth of Christianity is that we can't do it on our own. We can only do anything because we are in Jesus. We can't enter into God's presence unless we are in Jesus. And to build his church, to love each other like Jesus loved us, and for prayer to be answered, we must remain in Jesus and put our faith in him to enable us to do his work. There's no other way to do it. Apart from Jesus, we are powerless. 
So last week, uh, you may remember that the scene of the statement of Jesus, the I am the way and the truth and the life, uh, they were sitting at the table during the Last Supper, and, and Jesus began to teach them and speak to them. And between last week's statement and this week's statement, there wasn't a lot that happened. I always cover the context in between, but we're actually still in that meal. They're still at the table, uh, as far as we can tell, uh, and they're still talking. Jesus is still teaching them. Uh, since then, he talked about the Holy Spirit and how he was going to send them the Spirit as a counselor to teach them all things and to remind them of everything that he told them once he's gone. Now again, we think he might be at the table, but we're not exactly sure. There's this kind of cryptic sentence in the middle. Um, it says, come now, let us leave, which sounds like they're leaving and going somewhere. But then it immediately goes into this section of scripture where Jesus is still talking. It doesn't say they went somewhere. It doesn't say the next day. It just says, the next, it just says this statement as soon as it says, let's leave. So we don't know where he is, uh, but it's all kind of one big section of teaching here. So this week's statement is in John 15, verses 1 to 12. And I'll read that all as one big piece uh, first. So it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. This is speaking to his disciples. Remain in me, and I will also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and that withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So there's a lot here. Um, as you know, I like to read the whole thing so we get the context and I like to go back and chunk it apart. So we're going to do those first three verses again and focus on that first. I am the true vine and my, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. So this is another one of those passages where Jesus just gives us the I am statement on a silver platter right at the beginning. I am the true vine. And it's kind of interesting because this statement is the first time that God the Father is included in it as well. It says that he's the gardener. But it's scary because it says that God the Father, as the gardener, cuts branches off of Jesus that are not producing fruit. And it says that he's the one who distinguishes who is productive and unproductive and deals with them appropriately. But while the unproductive branches are cut off, you'll notice that the productive branches are still cleaned and pruned. So the productive branches in Jesus as the vine uh, are tended to be more productive and more fruitful. And then verses 4 to 5 says, Remain in me, and also I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. 
Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And that's that explanation he often gives uh, when people don't understand. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is a bit of a wake-up call uh, for anyone who is a follower of Jesus. So if he is the vine and we are the branches of the vine, or, or even picture it for us here like as a tree and the branches, we can bear fruit as Christians as long as we are in him. But if we are not in Jesus, we are powerless to do anything, just like a branch that's cut off from a tree. So first of all, what does it mean to remain in Jesus here in this passage? And, and I feel like when I was studying this, there's a few different opinions. Um, I think it's a metaphor for continuing to pursue him and loyalty to him in our everyday life. Especially that pursuing part, because Jesus says here that the disciples who are with him at the table are clean because he's spoken the words to him to them. Which means that for us, we need to be listening to, reading, and applying the words that he's spoken to us as well in his word. Which involves a pursuit, because we actually have to do it. Second, what does it mean for Jesus to remain in them? And I think that's a reference to the Holy Spirit just based on the context of the passage, because he just talked about the Holy Spirit before this. Uh, just, um, if they stay in him, the Holy Spirit will be in them. He's with us because he lives in us. So I think that together this is a combination of the disciples remaining in Jesus by following his word and obeying his word, and Jesus remaining in them through the Holy Spirit he's sending. But, the real thing that we all want to know in this passage is what is the fruit? Because if you're not producing fruit, it says that you get cut off. So obviously that is the number one thing that we all want to know is what does it mean here to produce fruit? And through my study, I found two different interpretations. Well, actually three. Uh, the first, some think that the fruit he's talking about is righteous living or a transformed life. Uh, and then second, some people say that it's making new disciples or discipleship. And I think the important thing here is to not narrow the focus too much uh, and not to try to define it um, specifically because he's probably talking about both of those things and a lot more. I think the best way to view fruit here is the entire life and ministry of those who follow Jesus' teaching and who experience his presence in their lives through the Holy Spirit. And all that comes as a result of that, which includes righteous living and being transformed, and which includes making disciples. And what he's really talking about here is the substance of faith. Because faith is not just belief. Faith produces actions and work. It's not what saves you, the, the, the actions and work, but it is the fruit or the result of a soul that has been saved. And I'm selfishly bringing this up because that's going to be very closely related to our fall series in James that we're going to go into. Uh, we're going to talk about that quite a bit. But the point is that if you have faith, there should be a result of your faith. There should be something to show for it. It should be producing something. Your faith might be what saves you, but there should be something to show for it. Not of yourself, not something that you've done, but what the Spirit has done through you. So that's the fruit piece. And then he says in verses 6 to 8, If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. 
If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And this is interesting because the passage, if you remember, it begins by saying that God the Father is the one who cuts or prunes the branches. But here it's kind of indicating that we also have a part to play in that as well. Uh, we have a part to play into whether or not we're bearing fruit. While we may not be able or capable of growing the fruit on our own, we make the decision whether or not to center our entire lives around Jesus and to pursue him. So if we're not truly united with him in our faith, and if we're not truly living with a continual sense of dependence on him, then the following will be true of us. Now, while this piece about being thrown into the fire is terrifying sounding, uh, and it certainly has a connection to the final judgment, the main point of this passage is that this is what happens to useless branches. And the focus here is not on the destruction, it's on the fruit and producing or not producing. It's just kind of a part of this analogy, but it is still scary. And it's important to remember that Jesus isn't talking about people who don't believe in God here. He's talking about branches that were on the vine, which is Jesus, but that weren't producing. He's talking about Christians, not scary. He's saying Christians who confess Jesus with their mouth, but they don't produce any fruit throughout their lives. Their faith doesn't produce any results. There's no change in their lives. Whether it's making disciples or pursuing Jesus in Christ-likeness, people who say they believe, but don't allow themselves to be transformed and changed. This is a warning for them, and it's scary. But then he says that if you do remain in him, Ask for whatever you want and it will be done, because the fruit that is produced by those who remain in him glorifies God and serves as proof that those people are truly disciples of Jesus. Now, I say this any time that this kind of wording comes up in Scripture, but this isn't about being able to use God like a vending machine. This isn't saying if you're faithful and you, you do these things that you can ask God to win the lottery and he's going to say, here you go, you're faithful, so enjoy. Uh, that's not what he's saying here. In its context, every single Bible verse that is about prayer and about asking and receiving whatever you ask for, it's all about living in God's will for your life. If you pray for the things of God, and that's the key there, the things of God, and you are pursuing with your life the things of God, you will receive the things of God. And this isn't about, again, getting a new car or, or a promotion it's about praying with confidence for the things that please God and which glorify Him. And we move to verses 19 to 12, or 9 to 12. This is kind of the key to the whole thing. He says, As my Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and I remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So this is a bit more of the details surrounding how we actually do this, how we remain in him. And this is the method and the secret of abiding or remaining in Jesus. And it's all about obedience and love. So first of all, Jesus is our example. He came to earth, 
he humbled himself and submitted himself to God's commands. And in the same way, we need to submit to Jesus and to follow what he has taught us. And now, of course, this isn't about being perfect. We aren't earning our salvation. And you always have to clarify that because sometimes that can get a little muddy uh, at face value. If we were earning our salvation, we wouldn't need Jesus. This is all about after we've been saved. The secret to producing fruit for the kingdom. He says, follow my commands, and my command is this. Love one another. If we love one another, we will produce fruit. Okay, so like I said at the start, all these I am statements we've studied, they're all really focused on who Jesus is. Uh, And this one talks about that too, but it's a bit different because while it's about who Jesus is, the vine, it's also about who we are as Christians here on earth now, the branches. Uh, Any other time that the statements talk about our part to play, uh, you know, whether it's believing in him and you'll have a resurrection, it's all about eschatological things, all about um, what you'll have later or receiving now. But this is about what we're doing now. So this kind of summarizes the whole series in a way. So what should we take away from all of this? What does it mean for us that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches in him? First of all, Jesus, or believers that are in Jesus produce fruit. And this is really important to understand, because believers in Jesus, again, do not earn their salvation. They are wholly dependent on the cross for their current standing. And also, believers in Jesus do not build anything or produce anything on their own. We can't fix the church, make ourselves better, or save the world without the Holy Spirit living in us and leading us. We are wholly dependent on him. But believers in Jesus do produce fruit. There are results of living in the Holy Spirit. And this isn't of their own doing any more than a a branch or a vine on a tree is responsible for the fruit that it produces. Because without the vine or the tree, there'd be no connection to the ground, to the nutrients and the water that it needs to produce the fruit. It would just be a dead piece of wood. James 2, 14 to 17. And I kind of cheated. Any time that I know I'm going to preach about something, I try not to cross-reference it in a sermon beforehand, but I'm cheating. So, James 2, 14 to 17 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but doesn't actually do anything about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. This isn't about your actions saving you, it's about your actions as evidence that you actually have faith. And then in Galatians 5, and this is talking about um, acts of the flesh versus acts of the spirit, or fruits of the spirit. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And every time I read that, I always think, oh yeah, like I'm not, you know, I'm not a witchcraft person or I don't worship idols. But then you get into these like, you know, jealousy or anger. I'm like, oh, that's kind of awkward because I feel like we all have that at some point. But he says, I warn you as I did before. 
that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's scary. Then he says, but the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So to remain in Christ means to pursue him. And pursuing him means that your life will show the result or the fruit of that pursuit. It doesn't say that you're never going to be angry or you're never going to be jealous or have weak moments. It says you're not going to live in that. It's not going to be your life or the defining features of who you are. Second, believers that are in Jesus' love love one another. Love is the key to everything. Jesus says that remaining in him means to follow him and keep his commands. But then he says that his command is to love one another, which by implication means that if we're not loving one another, we're not in him. That's scary. In Matthew, a Pharisee asked Jesus what the greatest commandment is, and he gave him this answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the rest of the law, the prophets, everything in the Bible hangs on those two things. And then right before last week's I am statement, the I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. He says, if we love one another, the world will know that we are his disciples, which means if we don't, they won't. And if they don't believe that we are his disciples, we are going to have a lot of trouble making new ones. And I think we start, we're starting to see that in the world today where people say, well, I like the Jesus in the Bible, but I don't like whatever you guys are about. And I think that's kind of where that's starting to come into play is, you know, we're, we're struggling on the love side of things in the world as the church. The bottom line is this. Jesus' command is to love one another. If we don't love each other, we aren't keeping his commands. And if we aren't keeping his commands, we aren't remaining or abiding in him. Because believers that are in Jesus love one another. So to conclude this week and to conclude this I Am series, where do you find yourself today? Are you remaining in him? Are you letting God clean you and prune you and trim your branches so that you will be more and more fruitful? Are you pursuing him, seeking his will, and letting him transform you? Jesus told us that he is the bread of life, the source of spiritual fulfillment. He told us that he is the light that illuminates our path. He told us that he is the door for the sheep, the path to safety and pasture from the thieves and robbers that want to lead us astray. He told us he's the good shepherd who lays down his own life to save yours. He told us that he is the resurrection and the life, that if you believe in him, you will receive a resurrection from the dead into eternal life, and that you will receive new life right here and right now. He told us that he is the only exclusive way to the Father, the only exclusive truth 
in a world filled with lies and the only source of eternal life that you will receive or find. And so as we conclude, he tells us that he is the true vine and we are the branches. If we remain in him, if we pursue him, and if we seek him and love one another, following his example, he will be in us. We will receive all of these things that he has said, and we will be transformed and changed, and we will produce fruit of our own. So as we leave this week, and as we go out into the world, let's remain in him. Let's continue to allow him to remain in us, and let's love each other as he has loved us. I'll close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your son and all that he has done for us. God, you have paid for all our sin, and you've cleared the path for us, and all we have to do is believe in you, put our faith in you, and follow you. I just ask that you would give us the strength to do that, and to remain faithful, and to live in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.